Welcome to this episode of the College Sports Insider presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. I'm delighted to have, spending some time with us today, good friend Kevin Lennon, who's the NCAA Vice President for Division I Governance. And Kevin, it's nice to have you here spending some time with us. Great to be here, Jack. I thought we'd talk a little bit about how business gets done, if you will, within the world of intercollegiate athletics. I think this is one of those areas where folks just don't have a real understanding of, of the notion of what the NCA is and how rules and decisions are made. And we figured you're the guy to talk about. Great. <laughs> I'm happy to do about. it. Good. I think there is an awful lot of misperception and misunderstanding about kind of how the governance of intercollegiate athletics works. First yeah. of all, as you know, the NCA is a voluntary organization of four-year colleges and universities that have come together and said, we want to conduct our intercollegiate athletics programs within higher education. And the first principle is that our schools are the ones that are responsible for delivering the services to our student-athletes. And they, in turn, then cede over authority to the national organization, the NCAA, for things that they believe all schools need to be held accountable for. So we begin with the premise that our schools are operating their athletic programs within the universities, that they're complying with the rules that they've established, that they themselves have voted on and established. And then in certain instances, they say, well, we would like the NCAA as the overarching organization to help provide a level of oversight for those rules or to conduct the championships on behalf of the schools. So we work in that type of relationship with our institutions. Why do you think it is? And, and I've seen this as I've traveled around the country in various involvements that I've had with the NCAA over the last 15 years or so. Why do you think it is that there's such a powerful misconception out there where people think that the NCAA, and by that I mean the national office right here in Indianapolis, that it's that group that, that creates, promulgates rules, uh, that decides, and, and, and you know people think they could decide it tomorrow morning if they want to change the rule. Why do you think it is that there is such a misperception about what the NCAA is as an organization? Well, for a long time, actually, our membership liked the fact that there was an organization, an office, in, previously in Kansas City and now in Indianapolis, that could serve as the lightning rod for criticisms, quite mm -hmm. frankly. It, it served a purpose in that regard. Um, it's important that our fan bases love their institutions, and they do. And you'll find that across the country, that people say, I love my school, but I may have a problem with the NSA <laughs> for this reason or that reason. So... You know, to some extent, Jack, it's a, it's, it focuses people's attention who have concerns about athletics or don't like another program or for whatever reason, they need a place to kind of vent that anger, for lack of a better term. And previously, the NCAA had willingly assumed that responsibility, and that was done so purposely by our institutions. I think over time what we've seen, however, though, is that we need to make sure that, that the country understands that we are our member institutions, that they make the rules, they determine what authority they want to give over to the national organization, and that we share a collective ownership and responsibility for being good stewards of college athletics. And that means recognizing the good things that go on, but also taking responsibility for some of the challenges that we all share at the national office as well as our member institutions. As you know, with each of the some 1,100 member institutions in Division One, Two, II, and Three, you have an entire structure, a governance structure with each, each of these institutions. 
Um, and with regard to athletics, you have coaches, you have athletic directors, um, you, you might have other executives, and then ultimately you have the, the president or the chancellor of the institution. What, what role do the presidents play in terms of governance with regard to Division I athletics? Yeah, they, they play a, a critical role, first of all, on campus throughout all the divisions. There's a special recognition that we look at our presidents as being those who establish what we call institutional control for the athletics programs, and that's stated very clearly in our Constitution. We will hold the presidents accountable for how well their programs are conducted, and we expect them to play that leadership role. So if, if I can interrupt for a second. So I suspect if you ask people out on the street saying, well, who's involved in it, they'd probably say, well, well either the coaches or the athletic directors are the ones that are in charge of that. Um, is is the, the notion of the presidents being in charge, is that something that there's been more emphasis put on lately? Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting observation. I, I would think that over time, that responsibility has, has morphed, and I think uh, particularly with our expectations as an NCAA, has continued to increase. We mm-hmm. recognize that athletics plays such a critical part in, in the, the recognition of institutions, often is viewed as kind of the front porch of the institution, and I think our presidents have recognized candidly, that when athletics does not go well and when there are problems, it impacts the broader university in ways perhaps uh, like never before. And therefore, as the leadership within the institution, as the president working with their governing boards, they have to be attentive to all aspects of intercollegiate athletics. And candidly, I do think that has increased over time. While we have always asked them to be in charge I think the implications of failure to be in charge of the programs have never been greater, and thus we see greater engagement of our presidents. So talking about governance then for the Division I, and, and let's look at some of the aspects of that. There's a, a, a board of directors, essentially. Tell me what the board of directors, what their function is, and, and who composes or comprises the board of directors. So within our Division One structure, our board of directors is the highest governing body. We have 24 members, 20 of whom are university presidents. And the way Division One is structured is that we're asking that board to basically provide the strategic oversight for the division, meaning as we look at the Division I collegiate model of sport, what do we need to be attentive to to continue to providing these great opportunities for our young people, to continue to make sure that athletics operates within higher education. And so we look to our board of directors to providing that strategic level of guidance. Where are we to go to advance and enhance this collegiate model of sport? So what kind of issues then would the board of directors generally be, be focusing on? Yeah, they'll, they'll take a look, uh, and they're in the process right now of identifying a five-year strategic areas of emphasis that says, as a division, for us to be successful, to manage the external threats that we have uh, facing intercollegiate athletics, as well as to build what we need to within higher education, they're looking at their five-year strategic plan. So those would be areas of all, how do we advance the health and safety of our student-athletes? How do we make sure that we not only graduate our student-athletes, but they have a well-rounded experience that better prepares them to be better citizens when they leave college and better prepared for the workforce? Um, Issues that relate to the number of sports that we sponsor and making sure that we continue to be, um, uh, be true to Title IX issues, to gender equity concerns. Those are the type of kind of broad-based strategic areas that our presidents 
we'll talk about, we'll affirm, and then, Jack, they will set forward the agenda and say to our council, which is primarily made of our directors of athletics, go forward with these guidelines and with these instructions on developing the specific proposals that will do what we want to do as presidents. So, so to, to be clear then, we and, and you see this as well as I do, I, I, you oftentimes hear somebody, it might be somebody on a talk radio show, sports talk radio, or it might be a, a, a journalist saying, well, you know, the NCAA should change this rule tomorrow suggesting that it, that would be the national office and Dr. Emmert, the president, who would say, okay, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning, and as of tomorrow morning, this significant rule has changed. Is that in any way, shape, or form the way that those types of decisions can be made given the NCAA structure? You know, typically they're not. And, and first of all, we have a very diverse set of institutions across the NCAA and even in Division One, budgets from $5 million dollars to $185 million. All within the Division I umbrella. All within Division I umbrella. And and so you have that kind of diversity, and we have a governance process that says, under this big tent, we need to hear everybody's voices. That can be cumbersome, and that can take some time. We, We are getting more nimble, and we are getting more efficient. But having said that, we do have a structure that when certain... Uh, a crisis will occur, for example, that we do have the opportunity for the board and they do have the authority to take immediate action when that is necessary. So while we are process-oriented, we can be outcome-driven in a timely manner when situations require that type of attention. It's not the preferred model because obviously you want to to bring people along with your ideas and have a, a shared sense of commitment to when you make rule changes. But we do have a structure, Jack, that would allow our presidents to act quickly in the event that that's necessary. So you talked about the board of directors, and you mentioned uh, some uh, 20 presidents. Um, I, I think also an athletic director, a student athlete representative. Yes. From there as, as part of the voices and a, a female athletics administrator. Um, you talked about the council which you said is, is composed almost entirely of athletic directors? Is Mostly that... ADs. We have some other faculty members and, right. and senior women's administrators, but predominantly athletic directors. What other then structures are there within the Division I governance umbrella, if you would, that are part of the decision-making process? Yeah, one of the new ones that's come out of our, our recent restructuring is the development of a presidential forum. And this consists of a president from all of the 32 conferences, where I mentioned before the board had 20 presidents, this presidential forum has 32 representing each of the Division I conferences. They do a number of things, but the primary thing they do is be the primary presidential advisory group to the board of directors. So when the board has issues where they need a presidential perspective um, on the transfer rules, on the board composition, on what we're to do with the football recruiting model, whatever those things are, the board can look to this group of 32 presidents and say, we need a presidential perspective. What do you think, representing all 32 conferences on these issues? And and that's often the, the function that they have been serving, and I think it's actually worked quite well. So that gives you a perspective. As you, you talked about the, the variations in terms of, of budgets in the athletic department from $5 million to $150 million. By having a president from each of the 32 conferences, well, the 32 conferences have very different dimensions and different approaches to things. And that's the idea to, to get that variety of voices? That's exactly right. And we still have some of that diversity on the Division One Board of Directors, but again, it doesn't represent all conferences. This forum is intended to do just that, Jack. It's intended to bring a different perspective, a presidential perspective that reflects the diversity of the membership 
so that when our board receives that information, they have some sense that what they're hearing there uh, is a great sampling of this Division One membership. And, you know, mm-hmm. oftentimes our presidents think alike on a lot of issues, but there, then there are key issues where you will have a difference of opinion. And it's extremely important that our board is is aware of what those difference of opinions are within the membership so they can make the best decisions possible. Let me go back to the board for a second. We talked about 20 presidents there. How are they selected? And, and are they... Is the intention the way it is with the presidential forum for them to represent any particular constituencies or is it a, a more – I don't want to say a random selection process because I don't want it to seem haphazard. But there, is there any requirement that you need a percentage that come from one area of the country or from one particular conference? How is that selection process involved? It's a really good and interesting point, Jack. So we work through our conferences to appoint the president that they want to represent them. We have permanent board seats for all the FBS conferences, the football Uh bowl subdivision. The other remaining spots are done on a rotating basis. And that's basically how it's structured. However, once a board member is seated as a member of the board directors, we ask them to make decisions not on behalf of their conference, but on behalf of the good of the whole. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. And, and, and that, that it, it's interesting and it makes a lot of sense. Practically speaking, how difficult might that be for, for these presidents who, who have a natural constituency? And yet you're saying to them, All right, you might have to put that aside for a moment and look at a bigger picture. Yeah, it, I, I think it does present some challenges. And we ask them to come prepared to the board meetings having heard from their conference, having been informed by those constituents, having been informed by others that want to contact them. Um, But when we ask them to come to the table while they are informed by their conference, we do ask them to step back and do what is good for intercollegiate athletics. And it's it's probably much like you would see in Congress, as an example, where I'm I'm representing a certain constituent group in, in my home state, but I need to do things at the end that are best for the country. And so that's the kind of responsibility that we place on our board of directors. Is it challenging? It absolutely is. And do we want them to voice issues that are more parochial or from the conference? We do. But when it comes down to kind of casting the votes and bringing their perspective, we ask them to do these things for the greater good. I saw that one of the things, one of the emphasis, emphases, let's put it that way, that um, that the, the presidential forum and ultimately the board will be focusing on is the notion of, a, of, of the entire life cycle of a student-athlete. What, what, what do we mean by that when we're talking about fo- – because most people would think, okay, well, you're talking about four years of eligibility or five years of eligibility, and after that, th- that's fine. So what does the notion of focusing on an entire life cycle mean, and why is it that the determination has been made that, that that's one of the fo- what one of the focuses should be? Yeah, we, the uh, the charting the course initiative, our presidential forum, has really taken that issue head on. And I think it's, Jack, really an acknowledgement that the pre-college experience, how our young people are coming in prepared to be a student athlete academically, from a health and safety perspective, from a social and well-being perspective, how they're going about selecting their colleges, all of that impacts their collegiate experience. And so it's important and right to place a certain emphasis on that pre-college dynamic and making sure that our student-athletes are coming in as equipped to be successful as they can. 
Obviously, the collegiate experience and what happens during that time is what we've spent a great deal of attention on and, and made great enhancements in that regard. But we then also focus on what is the post-college experience? How are we going about making sure that the student athletes are best equipped for life after college so that they can transition in a healthy and a safe way to being productive citizens? And what are the programming that we're providing right now to help them with the transition? So this continuum of experience from pre-college to college to post-college has been this area of emphasis that we're examining with our presidential forum as well as our board of directors. Last question for you then. Looking forward, there, there are a number of challenges out there to the, the world of intercollegiate athletics and to the, the amateur model and the NCAA model. From the Division I perspective then, over the next three or five years or so, what, what do you think the focus will be, the primary focuses will be for the, the, the governing bodies? You know, I think first and foremost, um, if I were to kind of identify three fundamental foundational goals, is one is making sure that our student athletes have a well-rounded academic and athletic experience in a safe environment. So we have had great success with the graduation rates of our student athletes, but I think there's now a focus on not only the graduation success, but making sure that the experiential learning components, internships, study abroad, um, foreign tours, whatever they may be, are provided to those students that want access to those and that their campus experience is, in fact, safe on the field and off the field. So you have that kind of qualitative uh, component of their experience. Secondly, we may need to make sure that we have sustainability within the division. We have increasingly uh, disparate financial numbers, and the financial landscape is changing across Division One, and we need to be attentive to making sure that the big tent remains a big tent and that it's sustainable, and these opportunities are sustainable for young people. Um, and then I think the, the third area is just that we need to figure out ways to effectively manage the threats and the opportunities that we have moving forward. And I know that's a, a big general statement, but we have lots of things that are challenging the collegiate model, um, whether it's Congress, whether it's lawsuits, whatever it may be. Are we, do we have a structure in place that's going to allow us to be nimble and effective enough to manage this collegiate model in a way that will sustain it for the young people and continue to change the lives that we're changing. Kevin, we appreciate it. There, there's, there's a lot going on, and I think it's helpful for people to truly understand the process and how it all works. And certainly these kinds of conversations are, are really helpful um, for all of us to do that. So, Kevin, we appreciate taking the time to chat. Always good to see you. Always good to see you, Jack. We appreciate you. Again, our thanks to Kevin Lennon, the Vice President for Division I Governance for the NCAA. That does it for this episode of the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. Thanks for joining us. We'll look forward to talking with you again real soon. Thank you.